All right, I want you to take the um, take your program and look at the back of it, okay? Good-looking guy there, David Brickner, leads Jews for Jesus. I got some good news and I got some bad news, okay? The bad news is, is that David couldn't be here, okay? He uh, called on Friday. His daughter was having their very first grandbaby, and I said, listen, you need to go and be with your family, okay? But the good news is, is this, Tuvi is with us, and I'll tell you what, last night was unbelievable. You are going to enjoy this. Welcome to those of you that are over in the venue. You guys are going to enjoy this. Tuvia, he wanted you to know three things about him. Number one, he's Jewish. Wanted you to know that. <laughs> With a name like Tuvia, that could trip you up, okay? <laughs> number two, he wants you to know that he loves Jesus Christ deeply. And number three, he wants you to know that for the last 38 years, he has worked with Jews for Jesus. Been with that organization a long, long time. And I want you to welcome right now my new friend, Tuvi, up here. Give it up for him, will you? Hey, shalom. I'm so blessed. Pastor Rick, thank you for the warm welcome here. It's been a, a, just a, a tremendous joy to be with you all. And, and yeah, with a name like Tuvia Zaretsky, you know I've come from a faraway, strange, exotic, weird kind of a place. I'm, I'm from San Jose. <laughs> and I'm living in the diaspora. I live in uh, Los Angeles. So I'm glad to be back up in Northern California. <laughs> Delight to be with you, and, and shalom to all you over in the, in the venue. Um, the uh, um, program says, uh, why does Israel matter? And I'm going to give you three things this morning to remember. It matters because of the message. Sorry, it matters because of the Messiah. He's first. It matters because of the message, and it matters because of the mission. The Messiah, the message, and the mission. We're going to unpack that this morning. I'm not going to say a lot about Jews for Jesus, but that's the context in which I work and labor. And so um, for those who want to know more about the ministry of Jews for Jesus, you can do that after the service. There's lots of literature on the resource table. There are um, some books and, and uh, videos as well. There's also a, a brochure that you can pick up. And if you'd like to follow along with us, we do produce a newsletter. You just fill out a little coupon there. And We'll see, leave it with me. We'll see that uh, you receive that newsletter and, and tell you what we're doing in all of our branches in 10 countries around the world, including the branch that's located in Tel Aviv, Israel. Yeah, we're incorporated in the state of Israel, and there's a huge, wonderful story behind that as well. So um, pick up those little brochures or the cards afterwards, fill them out, leave them with me. We'd love to tell you more about what's happening there. And there'll be an opportunity for you this morning to think about um, maybe some short-term partnerships with the work of Jews for Jesus. We really welcome the, the privilege of, of sharing with God's family. And so let's get, get down to this this morning. The, the question comes up very often when we're talking about the, the, why does Israel matter, does Israel matter, what we mean when we say Israel. A lot of folks, when they think of Israel, they think of the, the flag, they think of the political state in the Middle East, but there's a whole lot more going on than, than just that. And when we think about it biblically, when we think about it sociologically, culturally, we have to recognize that, that Israel is, is much more than just a simple state. 
I'm going to show you some, some points here on the, on the screen, and these are, are a couple of things. A lot of times folks think of Israel as, or the Jews as a religion. Well, the reality is that the majority of Jewish people today, the 13.1 million Jews in the world, the majority of the Jewish people in the world today are secular. 63% of the American Jewish community is secular, committed secular, not religious. In the state of Israel, it's no different. 64% of Israelis are secular. And the rest of that community is, is either religious or traditional. It means they, they would say their religion is Judaism, but only 11% practice it. I know a lot of times you meet Jewish people and you think, well, I, I know somebody who's Jewish, but they're not really Jewish because they don't practice their religion. Well, we call them cultural Jews. And that's the way I grew up. Actually, I, I grew up in a religious home, um, but culture was as much a part of our, our religion, and, and so it, uh, it was a combination of both. When I talk about Israel, I'm talking about that ethnic community. I'm talking about the bloodline that comes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the descendants of Israel. I could come up with eight definitions for Israel. I'm not going to give them to you. But at least three of them had to do with that bloodline, with the descendants of Israel, because God constituted that people as part of the promise that he made to Abraham. One of the promises was a people. And so he has preserved a people. He created that people for a purpose. And so when we talk about Israel this morning, I'm thinking of the broader body of, of Jews around the world, 13.1 million. In the United States, 5.4 million. We don't even make up 2% of the United States. We're way overrepresented in terms of cultural identity. And we're not even the, the biggest Jewish community in the world anymore. The state of Israel, the state of Israel now has 5.7 million Jewish residents, which makes it the largest concentration of Jewish population in the world for the first time in almost 2,000 years. God is on the move. I don't know fully what it means, but God is on the move, and I've seen it in my own lifetime. So when we talk about Israel, we're talking about a people. There is the political state in the Middle East, that is the Medinat, the state of Israel, Medinat Yisrael. But when I talk about Israel, I'm talking about the Israel in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his descendants, the bloodline that never changes because God's not through with that ethnicity, that nationality. There's also the land of Israel. It's been the land that belonged to a variety of people down through the centuries. It was the land uh, of the Canaanites. Part of it was the land of the Philistines. Later on, the Romans dominated it, called it the land of Judea. Today, it's called the political state of Israel. But God had, had deemed it the land of Israel to Abraham as a sign of God's faithfulness. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's a faithful God. And the fact that he brought about a people and put them in a land in a context is part of his plan, part of his picture, and it tells us that that God is real. So keep those things in mind as we talk about Israel this morning. Um, it's a people, it's a land, not the state, the land. It's an ancient Near Eastern concept that land and identity for an ethnicity are welded together. And the third part of the blessing that God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is blessing. 
And that's where we get to the, the mission of Israel. Why did God create Israel? First of all, there's the mission of Israel, then the mission to Israel. The mission of Israel was very simple. It goes back to the book of, of uh, Boreshit, the book of Genesis. And you've got to start before chapter 12 to understand why God created the Jewish people. You have to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Because there in the garden, as God is dealing with Adam and Eve, not Jews, long before they were Jews, the progeny that, that brought forth the entire line of humanity, all the nations came from Adam and Eve, God made a promise to them. And he said that he would bring forth a seed through a woman who would crush the head of the evil one, be sorely wounded in the process of doing that, and that seed would be God's instrument to bring about redemption and reconciliation with God, to restore the relationship that was damaged and broken because of sin in the garden among our forebearers. That seed was the promise instrument by which God was going to bring about that salvation, and we know that seed now was to be Yeshua, Jesus. I call him by his Hebrew name, Yeshua, the seed of the woman. And so if God was going to need a woman to bring about the seed, he's going to need a family and a tribe and a nation. And so he scours the ancient Near East. He decides it's going to come through one of the sons of uh, the Shemites, the children of, of uh, Noah. And, you know, it could have been, he could have picked any people. He could have picked a, a Bantu. He could have picked a, a Han tribesman. He could have picked... Um, somebody from uh, uh, the, the Inca tribes, but he didn't. He called out one family from Mesopotamia, from the people of the Chaldean, an, Arame an Aramean Avram, Abraham. And he said, through you and your descendants would come this blessing of the seed from the woman. And through him will all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis 3 cannot be understood, sorry, Genesis 12 cannot be understood apart from its antecedent, Genesis chapter 3, the woman. And so God has promised through a seed, through a nation, through a people to bring about a land, a people, and a blessing to all the nations. And that blessing is that Messiah that brings us together this morning. We worship Jesus here. We worship him as the seed of the woman who gave his life on the cross at Calvary to deal with the issue of shame and guilt and sinful brokenness and give us that relationship with God. So that's the first part of the mission of Israel. God commissioned that people to be the channel for blessing in the coming of the Messiah. Israel was instrumental in bringing the Messiah. Now, a lot of people would say, well, they did that. God's all finished with Israel. Uh-uh, because there's another part of it. In calling forth Israel as his channel for blessing, in calling forth Israel as his people, his amskula, his chosen people that he sanctified for his purpose, he didn't just discard them when he was done. By setting apart and creating the Jewish people, God has declared that he's placed his name and his reputation on that people. And so he calls Israel his chosen people, his sanctified people, you know, that doesn't mean that Jews are, are smarter, quicker, more prosperous, richer than anyone else. It only means that God put his 
emblem, his name, his reputation on Israel. And in doing so, God said, I made a covenant with those people, I'll never break it. And through down through the centuries, people can know that Yahweh God exists because his chosen people continue to live and thrive. It's not about us. Deuteronomy 7, uh, verses 6 through 9 tells us that God created the Jewish people, not because they were a big nation, not because they were a mighty nation, but because he's a loving God and a faithful God, and he wanted to demonstrate his loving grace from generation to generation. Brothers and sisters, we can count on the new covenant because God has never given up the old covenant. He has never forsaken the people that he said he would give a name and a progeny and a land to. He never gave up on that blessing, and we can trust him for that blessing to us and to our children's children until the Lord Jesus returns again. Amen? Amen. So that's the mission of Israel. And the third part of that mission of Israel was that God was, God created amidst the nation of Israel a remnant. I call it the Israel of God because I think that's what Paul was referring to in Galatians. The Israel of God was the Israel within Israel, the remnant of Jews who loved God and honored him and obeyed him with all their heart and suffered all the consequences of the entire nation for its, uh, its sin and for its faithlessness. Just as God has created in the midst of Modesto a remnant, in the midst of Tracy and Escalon a remnant, in the midst of California, thank God, a remnant. For everywhere uh, the people of God exist, we are a remnant, no matter what nation we come from. And so there was to be a remnant in Israel and a remnant from the nations. And the Jewish people were given the responsibility to take that message. The remnant of Israel was to take that message and broadcast it to all the nations of the earth. So that's the blessing. And that's the mission of Israel. Now, people ask all the time, do Jews really need Jesus to be saved? Do they really need Jesus? I mean, don't they have their, their own thing going? Don't they have the old covenant? Don't they have... A, um, a, a relationship with God apart from him. And in particular, don't they have their own religion? I'm going to show you a picture here. picture of uh, a family celebrating a bar mitzvah in a synagogue. The, the man on the right was a, a Belarusian immigrant. He's a, a Jewish man who fled Bel Belarus because he saw his father murdered in a pogrom. And he was murdered by a, a Russian militia carrying the, the, led by a, um, a priest from the Russian Orthodox Church carrying a cross. And for his whole life, he hated Christians. He taught his son, the man on the left, that Christians and their gospel was bad news for the Jews. And so they were observant Jews, and they, they practiced in a synagogue. Little guy in the middle, Atsami. 13 years old in a synagogue service. It was a rite of passage for me as I stood there between two generations and declared that I wanted to be for God. In fact, I read from that scroll, from the Haftorah scroll, from the prophet Isaiah. And I read where Isaiah said to God, here am I, send me. And that was the theme of my bar mitzvah. Hineni, that's the four letters you see there in Hebrew. Hineni ani, a contraction. Behold me, I'm yours. Take me, God, send me. Wherever you want, whatever you want. And yet that night I went back into the synagogue sanctuary and I prayed and I said, God, I've, I've just said, Hineni, here am I. 
But where are you? I loved God. I wanted to know him desperately. I read the scriptures. I could read the Bible. I could read the Torah scrolls. I could read about our prophets. I said, why did you talk to Isaiah and Moses and King David and not me? 13 years old, I told God, you're going to have to reach out and find me. Now, I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't looking for, for something outside of my own faith. In fact, I had been inoculated against the gospel. Um, beside what my grandfather and my father had told me, I went to Hebrew school preparing for this bar mitzvah. And our Hebrew school teacher was named Mr. Benjamini. He was an Israeli, and Mr. Benjamini would answer a lot of questions besides just the Hebrew stuff. And in our religious training class, one of the kids said, it was December, and he asked, Mr. Mr. Benjamini, who is Jesus anyway? So Mr. Benjamini explained to a bunch of seventh graders, there's Jesus. We all know he was Jewish. He was a chacham, he was a wise man. He was a navi, he was a prophet in his own time. He was a rabbi, he was a, a teacher. Yeah, he was Jewish until he converted to Christianity, then he wasn't Jewish anymore. <laughs> Seventh grade, religious indoctrination, we got it. Never follow that person. It wasn't an option for me. Even if it was the only life preserver that was going to save my life. And I called out to God, and for 10 years, I kept my life and heart open. I wanted to know God. I loved him. I just wanted to know him. And when he reached out to me, it was through a, a woman that was working on a, a, the board of a drug clinic. I was working with a drug clinic after I got out of college, and, and uh, I was looking for answers to life. And, and she said, well, if you want to know what life is all about, why don't you ask God? Uh-huh. I've been doing that since I was, you know, a kid. She said, well, he said, ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Whose words are those? You knew that? I didn't know that. <laughs> and if she told me, I probably would have, not for me, I'm Jewish. You ever meet people like that? Not for me, it's, I'm Jewish, okay? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of the Lord. I had one verse from the Bible, never asked her where it came from, never asked her who said it. I went out and I prayed those words back to God. I said, I'm asking, seeking, knocking. Who are you and how am I doing, by the way? Yeah, he answered part B. You're a sinner. <laughs> I got really mad. I'm standing in a baseball field with my fist raised to heaven. I said, you made me. I'm broken, okay? What did you ever do to fix me? Ah, he had my attention then, huh? And that's when he began to introduce himself to me in the person of Jesus. I went to a Christmas pageant, sat in the back of the auditorium, 1,200 people. Nobody was going to see me or know that I'm Jewish. I don't, go to, I don't do Christmas. I sat in the back of that auditorium and I heard one verse from the Bible. It's part of the mission to Israel because it's the only hope we have. I heard Jesus declaring, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I said, great, I'm Jewish. And everybody knows Jesus didn't come for the Jews. 1,200 people sitting right in front of me was my friend from the drug abuse clinic. Turns around and said, why, what are you saying great about? Told her and she said, 
You idiot. When he made that statement, he was talking to Jewish people just like you. And with that, the last barrier fell, and I went out. And that was the night that God grabbed my heart and by the power of his spirit moved me into his eternal kingdom as a Jew who loves Jesus Christ. I hope the story encourages you. Um, if you have other, other friends who you've said, you know, you've tried to talk to them about Jesus for, your, for a long time and they've turned their backs on it and not responded. Um, if you're interested, if, you'll fill out, if you fill out that coupon and write testimony or something on it, I'll send you the story in a, a form that you can give to somebody else and, and hope move their hearts. The mission to Israel is really simple. There's only one way, and there's no other name beside Jesus. Do Jewish people really need Jesus to be saved? Absolutely. Simon Peter stands before a crowd of Jewish people at the Holy Temple and he declares, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the name that he was lifting up, the name that he was proclaiming was the name Yeshua, the name Jesus, given to him by an angel because he is to be the Savior and the name says Savior. Did you know that? The name Jesus literally says Savior. Now, we did a social research study in Israel, the state of Israel, when we opened up our branch there. We found out that only 8% of Israelis know that Jesus' name is Yeshua. Why? Because the rabbis don't want anyone to hear it. They corrupted his name. They changed it. They called him Yeshu. Yeshu. The sign you're looking at is a, a billboard that our office put up in the state of Israel as part of a series of campaigns to lift high the name of Yeshua so people could hear that his name is Savior and they could say, who is the Savior? Who is this guy? They know Yeshu is equivalent to Jesus. Yeshu is it's an acrostic. It's taken from three words. Careful now. The, the words are Yamach Shamo Zichro. What I just said is, is may his name and memory be cursed. And that's where they get Yeshu from. And nobody, very, very few except the most religious, know that. And so they just call him Yeshu. Or Jesus. Doesn't mean anything. But when we call him Yeshua, what they're hearing is we call him Savior. Savior, because he, is, he came to save his people from their sins. The mission to Israel is also to lift high the name of Jesus so that the, the nations, the remnant from the nations, may come to the glory of God and know him. That's what was understood about the Messiah even before he went to the cross. Who he was and the role of Israel. The Jewish people were set apart to proclaim that message so that the nations could hear it. Picture this. Yeshua has just been born. It's 30 days after the birth. His mother, Miriam, I know you call her Mary. Miriam and Joseph bring him into the temple. They are going to perform the Pidyana Ben, the redemption of the firstborn. They bring him in to, to offer a sacrifice to redeem him from God. And in the, in the, uh, as they walk into the temple uh, platform, an elderly man named Simeon, I call him Simeon Hatzadik. That's what they call him in the, the Bible. In, in Luke 2 speaks of him. Simeon the righteous man. He'd been told that he was not going to die until he saw the Lord's anointed. He knew he was going to see the Messiah before he died in his day and age. He walks over, holds out his arms, takes the baby from Miriam, cradles him in against his chest, and he says a prayer 
that Miriam remembers and tells to Luke, and it's recorded in our Bible. He says, Now, Lord, let your bondservant depart, be shalom, in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your Yeshua, which you prepared for in the presence of all the peoples of light, the light of revelation to the nations, to the Gentiles, and the very glory of your people, Israel. The mission to Israel was to bring salvation, to bring the message of the gospel back to Israel. And part of that still is that that message goes through Israel to the rest of the nations. That's why we're we, why the Jews were created. It says in Romans chapter 1, um, when Paul declares, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I think a lot of folks said, Paul, if it's such a great message, why is it that your people resist it? Why aren't more Jews coming to faith in Jesus? And he goes through the, the book of Romans and so brilliantly in the first eight chapters explains why everyone needs the gospel. The moral man needs the gospel. The religious man needs the gospel. The Jew needs the gospel. Every nation needs the gospel. And then in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he comes back and he says, you know what, God... God knows what he's doing, all right? It might look like the Jewish people are not flocking to the gospel. People forget, though. People forget that all the first believers in Jesus were Jews. I go out today in, in Israel and, and in New York City and Los Angeles. I put on a shirt sometimes that says, Jews for Jesus. It's on my van out, outside. Jews for Jesus. People think, wow, I've never heard of that before. That's really amazing. In those days, people put on bear with me, tunics that said Gentiles for Jesus. <laughs> and that was news. <laughs> Gentiles for Jesus, I never heard of such a thing. It was crazy. But God was creating a remnant. And in, in Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, we read, Paul says, you know, God knows what he's doing, obviously. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. He has a purpose and a plan. Or do you not know about what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. And then he records that plea. Where Elijah cried out, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I am left alone. And they are seeking my life. But what's the divine response, writes Paul? God says, I have kept to myself, I have preserved a remnant, myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there has come to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's grace, his gracious choice. That is still God's plan for Israel. That a remnant from within Israel will come to faith and believe in Jesus. That's the Jewish remnant, and we're charged with continuing to make that message known to our own people and to the rest of the nations. That's the plan. Some Jewish people still want to know about that. Um, this is a picture taken from one of our, our campaigns in Israel during uh, the Behold Your God campaign up in uh, uh, the north, up on the, on the beach. Uh, it's not against the law to proclaim the gospel in Israel, by the way. It can be a little dangerous but it's not against the law. In a moment, I want to show you a video of what happens in the midst of those campaigns. 
Not everybody is opposed to the gospel, but, but some people still really want to know. Last uh, Tuesday, sorry, not last Tuesday, Tuesday, May 15th, been working with a guy, sorry, I jumped ahead, guys. My bad, Phil. Um, there's, there's a fellow that came to our office for 25 years. Many of our missionaries have, have uh, ministered to him. Silviu. Silviu is a, um, the son of Romanian Holocaust survivors. Silviu resisted the gospel. He was those, you know the guy that comes to, the, to your Bible study and asks all the really hard philosophical questions? The questions you say, oh, I hate it when this guy opens his mouth. It just, it just slows everything down, right? 25 years, yet he kept coming. May 15th, he comes to our Tuesday night Bible study. Usually there's between you know, 10 and 15 people. No one shows up except Silvio. I said, okay, God, what are you doing? We did a Bible study that night. He was asking, how do you have faith? I said, it comes by God. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit changing a heart. And so we did a Bible study on, May, uh, on March, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17, where the apostle Peter is asked by Jesus, who do you think that I am? And Jesus, uh, uh, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus says to him, you got it, Peter, but you didn't figure that out yourself. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of the Lord and the power of the Spirit to change a heart. That's how I came to faith. Silvio got it that night. And we ended the evening praying that his sin might be forgiven through the seed of the woman who he knows is Jesus. And he's our brother in Jesus Christ now. That's, that's the power of the living God, and that's what he does. Not all Jewish people want to know. This was a picture taken from one of the campaigns up in Kiryat Shmona. I literally thought it was my last day on earth. A rabbi sent all the students from his yeshiva down to stop us. They did that with, with their boots, with their fists, sometimes with rocks. More often than not, they spat upon us. I want you to see this video of what uh, ministry in, in Israel is like. It's from a video called Flowers of the Sun. Israeli fields covered with flowers of the sun. Their faces turned down. Beautiful sunflowers, like the Israeli people, forced to look down, to look away from the sun. As Christians, we sometimes think of Israel as a place rather than a people. Today, more than five and a half million Jews call Israel home. They live in the heartland of their Messiah, and yet they are completely unreached. In religious Judaism, rabbis, they have all the authority. They say Jesus isn't the Messiah, we say he is. Like the early church in the book of Acts, there is an ongoing struggle in Israel to reach God's chosen people. 
to reach Jews for Jesus. Religious people get angry. They see us certainly as traitors. We've joined the other team. Missionary is to them like a germ. We're like germs infecting society and we need to be eradicated. God is using that opposition even as he did in the first century. Remember what happened with the persecution of Stephen and the early Jewish believers. It forced the early Messianic Jews to uh, go out into the rest of the, the Middle East to bring the gospel up into Antioch in Syria where it was received by the, the Gentiles, by the pagans who were hungering after God. And they were first called Christians there. And the message was carried out across Mesopotamia and into India and as far as China, down into Africa, Ethiopia and, and Egypt. The gospel was carried by those early Jewish believers after 70 AD when the nation came under judgment again. And the gospel was carried out from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of Europe and Gaul, and France and, and Italy. God uses that opposition because he's at work. It's part of his plan until a remnant from every single nation is called to faith. Paul continued in Romans 9, He did all this to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, speaking of the Jewish believers, whom he also called not from among Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. So what does this mean? What's going on with Israel and the Jewish people today? Why is, why is there such a, a hardness well, the hardness is only partial. Why is there such a blindness? Because it's only for a time. As he calls out a remnant like myself and other Messianic Jews. Look with me at Romans 11, 25 and 26. Paul concluded, For I do not want you, brothers, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening not a total, but a partial hardening has happened to Israel until, see it has a time limit on it, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and so in the same way, in the same manner, just as there was a remnant from the nations, there will also be a remnant from Israel. And when the fullness of that remnant comes in, so the fullness of Israel will come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. That was a promise given to the Jewish people prior to the 586 B.C. captivity that took them over to Babylon, from which they were returned. And God says he will bring back a remnant of faithful to him, first and foremost, to him. Our efforts in the state of Israel called Behold Your God is an effort simply to lift high the name of Jesus so Jewish people there have a chance to hear. And uh, um, we just completed a campaign in May of 2012. We saw 1,072 Jewish seekers give us their names and addresses for follow-up, and the team is doing that right now. We covet your prayers because it's a very, very difficult field. We covet your involvement. If you'd like to go to Israel and serve as a steward, 
to help out with those frontline people who are facing that kind of opposition. There are lots of ways that you can do that. Fill out one of those coupons or brochures and, and let us know that you're interested. B-Y-G, Behold Your God. That you're interested in being, being tapped to, to go and help out with that. It is an amazing season in which we live as a Jewish people. You know, this, this campaign, we saw five, five Jews and four non-Jews come to faith. You know who the four non-Jews were? Arabs. You wonder what's going to resolve the fight between Palestinians and Jews? The gospel, as it brings them together in the faith of Jesus Christ. I want you to meet uh, the, the two people who are going to head up our office, our newest office in Haifa where this campaign took place. Peter and Yarden. Yarden is uh, uh, Yarden Mitnitsky, now Yarden Nasser. Yarden is from the Ukraine. She speaks five languages, Russian, Ukrainian, Hebrew, Arabic, and English. She came to Israel, went to a, a, an Orthodox uh, a yeshiva um, for girls, and uh, she had a lot of questions about the Bible, kind of like Sylvia. They put her out of the, the, the yeshiva. She, was asked, she had too many questions. She started reading the New Testament, and she became a Messianic Jew, a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ. She's now married to Peter. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Peter. Some of you may have what you think are difficult jobs. If you think that your job is hard, I want you to think about Peter Nasser. Peter Nasser is an Israeli Arab who works with Jews for Jesus, telling Jews about Jesus. <laughs> He's wonderful. I love this guy. He's the head of our work in Haifa. By the way, Jews for Jesus is obviously an equal opportunity employer. The shalom of the Lord is breaking out in what he's doing among Arabs and Jews. There are congregations up in Haifa of Arabs and Jews who worship together. We've told this story in, in a, a video called Forbidden Peace. It's an amazing story. I want you to see some folks. It, it, was, um, it was my joy to be part of a, an outreach up in uh, the Upper Galilee. We were handing out uh, gospel tracts in the town of Tarshicha. Tarshicha is um, an Arab village across the road from a, a, a Jewish town called Ma'alot. They've been working for years to try and, and bridge the cultural gap between the two of them. An atrocity took place at the hands of, of terrorists in Ma'alot a few years ago. I was over there and we were handing out gospel tracts. There's a farmer's market in the Arab village of Tarshicha. On Saturday, a farmer's market. It's a work day for the Arabs. All the stores over in Ma'alot are closed in the Jewish village. So all the Israelis come over to Tarshicha to shop on Saturday. And we're out there handing out gospel tracts, and, and the Arabs would see us talking to the Israelis, and we would take their name and address and offer to send them a New Testament in Hebrew so they could read it, or Russian, or on Maharic for the Ethiopian Jews. And an Arab man would stop, and he would say, what are you giving to the Jews? Would you like the same thing? Sure. We're telling them about Jesus, or we call him Yeshua, or you call him Isa in, in Islam. He says, we know all about Jesus in Islam. I said, do you want to know the rest of the story? Yeah. Do you want to know what we're telling the Jews about Isa? Yeah. And we would take the name. You know, I, I said, this, is, this has to be the gospel. Here's an American Jew who loves Jesus in the land of Israel talking to a Palestinian about Jesus, the only hope for peace in the Middle East. The three men, uh, the, the two other guys here, Pastor Azam, uh, who is a pastor who has a table in the middle of that farmer's market. It's there every week proclaiming Jesus Christ 
so that Arabs and Jews get a chance to hear. He has, he has a sign. I was walking by the, the, the booth. This is how I saw it. In the middle of the farmer's market, there's a booth, a bunch of Arab guys sitting behind it. And over it is a sign in Hebrew. And I'm looking at it, and I realize it's John 3.16. <laughs> how cool is that? The gospel transcends all understanding, for the shalom of God is breaking free. All right, let me wrap this up with the, the three things that I said at the beginning. Why does Israel matter? First of all, Israel matters because God used Israel to bring forth the Messiah. Israel was God's instrument, his channel for bringing forth the Messiah. But just because we were born Jews didn't give us the relationship. And so he gave the message of the living God through the Jewish people. Both the gospel as the early Jewish believers carried it to the rest of the nations but also in the existence of the Jewish people. Whether, whether my people believe in God or not, the existence of the Jewish people, the message is Yahweh is real. He's a faithful, covenant-keeping, loving, trustworthy God. The Messiah, the message, and the, miss, the mission. Israel is important because we still need to take that gospel message to the remnant of Israel and the rest of the nations. I pray, I ask, think about the people that you know, pray for those of us who are engaged in bringing that message to those folks. Please participate with us. There's an opportunity for you to, to help and be involved in what we're doing. And I want to conclude this morning with a blessing from God. It's not one that I wrote. It's in Numbers chapter 6. It is the blessing that God gave to the sons of Aaron with which to bless his people, the B'nai Yisrael, and because we are gathered together as his remnant, would you please stand and allow me to, to offer God's prayer for all of us this morning? First in Hebrew, and then in English. Yo er Adonai panavalacha vichuneka Yis Adonai panavalecha Vyosehim lecha May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face unto you and minister his grace unto you. May the Lord shine the light of his face upon you and give you his peace. Vashem sar shalom in the name of the Prince of Peace. Amen. Look, just stay standing for just, just a moment. You know, I talked to him late Friday. A lot of stuff had to happen. He had to put together a lot of stuff and get it to us Saturday morning, and our team then did the best they could to get some stuff already, and I was just, I was really appreciative that he could be with us on such, such short notice, and that was just really, really great. I, I encourage you to go out and, and meet him out there and fill out that little card and send it in so you can get some of their literature. It's really top flight. I want you also to uh, take that little Christ and the Passover thing out. P pull that out, okay? Because I want to make sure that that ends up on your refrigerator. 
if God doesn't come back, the last uh, Sunday night of our, of our month-long special conference, uh, the Jews for Jesus team will be here and they'll transform this platform and we are going to have a special Christ in the, in the Passover. And I, I want you to know, you will, it'll blow your mind. It will be unbelievable. It'll be something you won't want to miss. And so you'll want to put that on your calendar, and that's kind of how we're going to wrap this up here in three, uh, three weeks on a Sunday night. So whatever you got planned, just cancel it, because <laughs> you're not going to want to miss this. It, it, it's really, really a special, special thing, and it's just for, for us. So make sure you, you put that on your calendar. And, and um, Father, I am grateful two of you could be with us. I hope we are a blessing to him as he has been a blessing to us. And while you all have your eyes closed, if you're here and you need prayer, maybe there's something going on in your life, something going on in your marriage, something going on with your family, your children, you have a health need. Over in the venue and in here, we have what we call the altar room, and the spiritual leaders are here to pray for you to lift you up to the Messiah. Please take advantage of it. Don't feel like you have to rush out of here. The spiritual leaders are here to love and care for you if there's something happening in your life. Father, again, thank you. Give us a great afternoon, and I pray this in your name. Amen.